right. Welcome to the first ever Vikings victory edition of Friends from Football. Football, a podcast inside the Friends from Work network that is hosted by yours truly. It's a weekly NFL show. And today we have an absolutely jam-packed episode, one that I'm super excited to share with y'all. Here's kind of the layout of what we're going to be doing today. We're going to go around the NFL, talk about some of this week's craziness. Then I am going to unveil my top 10 NFL teams through the quarter pole of the season. And after that, I will be joined by an incredible guest, Alec Lewis of The Athletic. He's the Vikings beat reporter for The Athletic, does an incredible job. And we talk about the Vikings a quarter way through the season and their win over the Carolina Panthers. And then I'm going to close out the entire show with an update on my best bets and give you five best bets for next week as we look to week five in the NFL. Crazy week five already. Yikes. I'm feeling good. I just got some Panda Express. The Vikings won a few days ago. It's just, it's a good day to be alive. I want to take a quick second and say, please subscribe to this podcast. Share it with your friends if you enjoy it. If you could, write a quick review on Apple Podcasts. Rate it five stars if you don't mind and share it with your friends. And I want to tell you that if you are at all a fan of film and TV, our sister podcast, Friends from Work, is about to be diving into Loki season two. So we will be covering that weekly over on Friends from Work, which if you're into, should be a ton of fun and will be a big season for us. All right, let's go around the league and check out some of the scores from week four in the NFL. As I mentioned, the Vikings beat the Panthers 21 to 13. The Jaguars beat the Falcons 23-7. The Falcons are in some need of some quarterback help. The Bills beat the Dolphins 48-20. That's a pretty wild score. I still think Miami is one of the best teams in the league, but wow, Buffalo is coming on strong after their week one loss to the Jets in surprising fashion. Since then, they've been absolutely dominant and even blowing out the Dolphins, who blew out the Broncos last week. Craziness there. I think the Dolphins are just kind of built with speed, and they're not really built for a Buffalo-type wear-you-down game. So that's a bad matchup for them. The Broncos came back and beat the Bears. The Bears are in absolute shambles right now, blowing a massive lead there. Broncos get their first win. The offense is looking a little bit better for the Broncos, but man, the Bears franchise is just in a tough spot what to do with their coach, what to do with their new GM, what to do with Justin Fields. Do you draft Caleb Williams at number one overall? Yes is the answer, but how do you move off Justin Fields then? Is it too early to move off Justin Fields? They need help everywhere. Bears, crazy, craziness there. Uh, The Ravens beat the Browns. Good bounce back for the Ravens. They're in my top 10 teams for sure, 28 to three. The Texans blow out the Steelers 30 to six. And the Texans are quickly becoming one of the Most interesting, surprising teams early in this season. What happened to the Steelers? Did you guys watch the preseason? It's such a perfect example why the preseason just doesn't mean anything at all. Their offense looked amazing, and now the Steelers can't score a point on anybody. 
blown out by the Texans. C.J. Stroud looking really good early in his rookie season. The Rams hold on to beat the Colts. This was a wild game. The Rams were up big. The Colts roared back uh, to bring it to overtime, but then the Rams walk it off in overtime. Rams are better than I thought they'd be. The Buccaneers are better so far than I thought they'd be. I never had the Buccaneers at three and one. I had them at one and three at this point, maybe zero and four. Uh, in my season preview episode, I talked about how the Buccaneers are definitely a bottom feeder. That is not the case. Baker Mayfield's playing well, but their defense is playing very, very well. That defensive line is very good, as we saw as Vikings fans. And the Saints are having some issues. Twenty-six to nine, Buccaneers. Commanders 31, Eagles 34, a wild one here. For those of you who missed it, the Commanders had a chance to go for two and steal a walk-off win against the Eagles. They elected to kick the extra point, which I would not have done. Look, anytime you're playing against a team that has the better roster, the better quarterback, etc., you try to take the win on the two-point conversion. You don't want to go to overtime. It's funny because Ron Rivera's argument was, I didn't go for two because I thought our offense was gassed. Okay, so you thought they were tired, so you elected to play another quarter? Dumb. Play one more play. Risk it. If you get it, you're a hero. If you don't, oh well, you compete with the Eagles. Don't love them. Not going for it. But the Eagles have not played their best football and somehow are 4-0. The Titans blow out the Bengals 27-3. The Bengals are in absolute shambles right now. Serious trouble. Yes, in previous years, they have started slowly. This feels different. It feels different because Joe Burrow has a little bit of an injury that's nagging him, but also they just can't score. Burrow looks broken. He's sticking with one read. He's not going through his progressions, and they can't score. They can't score. That's why it's different from previous years. I just don't see them bouncing back in a huge way. Maybe they get closer to 500, but at this point, I'm feeling like the Bengals are not a playoff team. Crazy to say that. By the way, that was a lot of people's MVP and Super Bowl picks. Crazy. Raiders are who we thought they were. 17 to 24 loss to the Chargers. I really don't like Josh McDaniels, and I really hated his press conference throwing Aiden O'Connell, the rookie, under the bus. I mean, what a what a jack wagon. You have a rookie quarterback who's not even preparing week of to get the first team reps, has to come into the game and performs fine, admirably. And in his first press conference, talking about your own player, he just throws him under the bus about how he can't turn the ball over and all this stuff. Dude, you're the coach. Coach him. Don't discourage him. He's never played before. That was an absolute clown move. I do not like Josh McDaniels. And that's why I bet the under of the Raiders season total, because I just don't think I believe in what they're doing over there. Cowboys absolutely massacre the Patriots 38-3. to Both teams are who we thought they were. The 49ers hold off a pesky and kind of interesting Cardinals team, 35 to 16. The Chiefs play a bad game. The Jets play a really good game, but the Chiefs still win 23 to 20. And then on Monday night, an absolute debacle to watch. The Seahawks beat the Giants 24 to 3. I want to take one second to talk about the Giants. Look, I'm not a Daniel Jones defender. I would not have paid him 40 million. I think that's a massive mistake. I... I'm not sitting here trying to argue that he's very good or anything, but I really personally did not appreciate the way Brian Dable was showing him up on the sideline. I get it. It's Brian Dable's probably only shot at being a head coach for a while. 
and he's frustrated. It was a terribly frustrating game, but the offensive line was so bad for the Giants to put all of the blame on Daniel Jones seems so ridiculous to me. And I actually felt sad watching Brian Dable throwing the iPad or rolling his eyes or yelling at Daniel Jones. Like, dude, you're on the same team. Coach him. Don't just toss the iPad. Now, there may be more dynamic going on there. I just don't like him publicly showing him up. I felt like that was a child move, an immature move by Dable. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go look up some of the memes and the videos from that game. Yes, Daniel Jones was really bad. Yes, the Giants as a whole were terrible. Yes, their offensive line is one of the worst offensive lines in the league. But you don't need to take it public like that with just demonstrative showing up of your quarterback. A quarterback that you're stuck with for a while. So I, I just, I hated that part of it. But yeah, the Giants aren't good. The Seahawks are pretty good. One of the better defensive performances of the Pete Carroll tenure. An absolutely dominant performance there. All right. I'm going to be tweaking this top 10 list. My top 10 teams in the NFL as we go throughout the season. I feel like after week four, and before week five is a perfect time to do the first edition of this. I'll start from 10 and go to one. This is obviously going to be changing a lot. I'm trying not to take other seasons into account, just this year's performance. And there are definitely some sketchy ones towards the end here that I'm just not sure of. Number 10, the Los Angeles Chargers. They're two and two, but their first two losses were super weird. They scored a gajillion points, they didn't turn the ball over, and they still lost those games. I feel like they're just too talented to not bounce back a little bit. Now, I don't know how I feel about Brandon Staley as a coach, but they're 2-2, two and two, and I think they're headed in the right direction. I have the Los Angeles Chargers at 10. The Seattle Seahawks at 9, they might be higher than this. They looked horrific week one against the Rams, but if you take the rule of throw out the first week because the first week is just so weird, since then, they've looked incredible, including a road win at Detroit. Number eight, the Baltimore Ravens. Solid, solid AFC team. I like how they're playing. Somehow their defense, no matter who is on their team, always shows up, always prepared. Number eight, the Ravens. Number seven, the Detroit Lions. Yes, Detroit lost to Seattle although that was a really close game. But that is their only loss, and their other wins have been pretty impressive thus far. They did beat the Chiefs. They got a little lucky there, but they beat the Chiefs. I love what they're building on the offensive and defensive lines, and I love Ben Johnson. I think Detroit has a high ceiling here and may only improve. Jared Goff is super underrated. I like Detroit at seven. Number six, the Dallas Cowboys. I don't know what to think of them. If you got rid of the Arizona game, they might be number two on this list, but they lost badly to Arizona. I can't get that out of my mind. We're going to learn a ton about Dallas this week when they go on the road to San Francisco. Number five, the Kansas City Chiefs. They've had a little bit of a rocky start by their standards, but Kansas City is one of those teams. It feels similar to the Bill Belichick Patriots era earlier on in the 2000s where no matter how kind of slow or clunky some of the games are at the beginning of the season, they're going to figure it out. Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, they're going to figure it out. Now they have Taylor Swift behind them. I like the Chiefs at five. Number four, the Philadelphia Eagles. They're 4-0, and like I said, I don't think they've played particularly well at this point. Somehow, they just the last two years, they just don't lose. They just keep winning games. When Jalen Hurts plays, they win. Um, 
I like everything about their roster. I just think they're going to improve from here. They got to figure a few things out, but I think it's only going to get better. Number three, the Miami Dolphins. Bad loss to the Bills last week. Still a firm believer in their offense and Mike McDaniel and how creative it is. I will say I just am nervous how well that will translate to cold weather football in January. The track meet type stuff. But what they do on offense is super impressive at this moment. And I'm always nervous Tua is going to get hurt. So far, Tua is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL this year. So we'll see. Number two, the team that just beat them, the Buffalo Bills. Again, if you use that rule of throughout the first week, which was a super bad, weird loss to Zach Wilson and the Jets, if you throw that out, they have been absolutely unbelievable, stomping the commanders, stomping the Dolphins. Josh Allen is settling into a very good start to the season. Again, especially if you take out that first week. I like what the Bills are doing, but I don't like them quite as much as my number one team, the San Francisco 49ers. Look, my only question mark with them was the hole at quarterback or the perceived hole at quarterback. I'm not going to lie to you. Brock Purdy's playing well. Yes, Kyle Shanahan schemes guys open. Yes, the talent on that roster is absurd. Yes, they have an incredible defense and all kinds of playmakers and a great offensive line. Yes, their roster is perfectly assembled for the Super Bowl, but Brock Purdy is also playing well which is weird for me to admit. He's first in the league in a ton of categories. So even with those caveats, I think he's good enough to get them to the Super Bowl. And if you're the 49ers, why would you try to move off him for anything else if you literally never lose with him? Of all the matchups the Vikings have left, that is the one game that I feel like they virtually have no chance of winning. 49ers at one. So that's Chargers 10, Seahawks 9, Ravens 8, Lions 7, Cowboys 6, Chiefs 5, Eagles 4, Dolphins 3, Bills 2, and the San Francisco 49ers 1. Okay, so the Vikings got their first win of the season in a super weird fashion. Ironically, through two weeks of the season, I felt like the Vikings were playing very, very well, and they were 0-2. These last two games, I feel like the offense especially has has struggled, uh, and they really struggled this week against the Panthers, and yet this was their first win. Go figure. So Cousins and the offense's worst game was their first win of the season. The defense really showed up, and I'm excited to dive into this with Alec Lewis, who is the head beat writer for The Athletic, for the Minnesota Vikings. If you don't subscribe to The Athletic, you absolutely should. I think, as a sports fan, it's hard to find good sports journalism, and The Athletic is it for me. They do a really good job of covering your local teams, so I love The Athletic for the Vikings. I love it for the Predators, the Mariners, etc. And it's only like a couple dollars a month, and you can sometimes get discounts where they're they're giving the athletic for a dollar a month for a year. So $12 to have great coverage of your teams. And Alec is particularly good. He's new ish to the Vikings beat, but I met him because he was writing an article on Kirk that I very much appreciated the angle he took and uh, a really in-depth look at Kirk's career, which was really cool before the season started. And ever since then, he's just a great human and he's funny and he's bright. And so I'm excited to share him with, you guys today. So without further ado, please welcome Alec Lewis of The Athletic to Friends from Football. So Alec, you wrote 
an incredible article today in The Athletic, which, by the way, if any of our listeners are listening and they don't subscribe to The Athletic, you probably should, especially if you like sports. It's only, are you guys still running that deal of 12 bucks or whatever, or is that past? I I don't know if the deal's still on or not. We have a deal like every other month, it seems like, which, I mean, I, I don't know what I can or can't say or what have you, but um, sure. yeah, no, I, I either either the deal is passed and it will come soon, hopefully, or um, it's still going. So yeah, it, it really is like, I tell people all the time, The Athletic started when I was in college and I, I was like, man, this is a very cool platform. It'd be cool to one day be able to have the opportunity to work alongside those people. And it happened way, way sooner than I think I thought. So, um, yeah, great platform. I'd recommend it. And uh, I, I, we, I think we, a lot of us who write for it care a lot about what we do. So, Has some really great sports journalism, especially in a time when good sports journalism is hard to find. The Athletics Your Place. Um, you wrote an article today, which I thought was perfect because it's been summing up my struggle with this season thus far, trying to figure out who's good and who's not good. And I've been riding that line. Uh, this has been one of the strangest Viking seasons I can remember. Your article today was entitled, Why the Vikings Might Actually Be a More Dangerous Team Than You'd Think. And listeners of this podcast know that's what I've been wrestling with. So, react to this, Alec. I felt like through two games, I almost felt better about this team than I have in the last two games, even though the last two games are the closest ones to wins we've had. You know, through two games, basically, if they had just not turned the ball over, that's it. You could boil down all of the other issues to one thing. If they hadn't turned the ball over, which your article talks about, they'd probably be one and one or two and oh at that point. I felt like these last two weeks while the run game came along, now, all of a sudden, there's some cracks in some of the offensive stuff. It was a little bit of a slog at times that I didn't feel in the first two weeks. In, in general, my premise has been that through four weeks, it feels almost the exact inverse to last year, <laughs> where I'm looking at it going like, I think we're pretty good, but we keep losing. And that was the entire, like, as I, yesterday, so this is, I, we're, talk, we're talking on Tuesday, it was Monday, and I was messaging back and forth with an editor for like an hour. And we were just going, can you send me turnover stats? What turnover stats can you find? And we started coming up with like, I mean, it was historic stuff. And the more he sent me the numbers, the more I was like, I think I just have to do something on like why this team could actually be pretty dangerous. And he was like, I think you'd be dumb if you didn't do that type of story for this week. And I knew probably the reaction, there'd be some people who would call me a homer, but I just... It's just like last year, people like to use the numbers as the way last year to prove that the Vikings would regress to the mean. And I think this year you have to, if you're going to do that, then you also kind of have to use the numbers to show why they're going to progress to the mean. And I, and so in, in a way it is the inverse. And um, there are so many facets to it that I think I cut the story off at like a thousand words. But if <laughs> I had time to just talk it out probably forever, I could – Talk about the pass game, the run game, the, the defensive run stopping ability. I mean, it, it, it is endless and it is what makes this league so crazy because I, I think probably every year, no matter where your team is, you could probably look at something and explain it one way or another. Regarding the turnovers, have you gotten a chance to go back and look at them all? Because I've been trying to separate the freak stuff from the stuff that's going to happen. So like, the two interceptions yesterday, for example, those are probably going to happen at times. Like at times, uh, your arm's going to get hit, a ball's going to go in the air. I get that. Now I wish that 
those would start going out of bounds or falling to the ground <laughs> like they're, they're not doing this year. Uh, and the first pick six was just a devastatingly bad play by Kirk, uh, one that he's admitted to and we talked about yesterday. But some of the stuff, like the TJ Hawkinson fumbling on the first third and eight against the Chargers, that's one where I go, that, that's not going to happen. That can't, that can't keep happening. Some of the Madison fumbles or the Powell fumble, surely those will come back to the mean. And if they don't come back to the mean, surely at least us recovering some of them will come back to the mean. But that's where I look at it and go, you, you posted in the article, the, the Vikings are minus eight so far <laughs> in the turnover differential if they could even just be minus four, are we talking about a two and two or three and one team? It's a turnover a half at the moment, which is brutal. Well, I had a, a, a long conversation. It's going to lead to a story at some point in the next month, probably. But with this longtime analytics staffer who really was on the forefront within the NFL of, of studying the numbers. And he posed a question to me. I met with him at his house. This was like months ago. He posed a question. He said, what do you think the two most important stats are to winning? And I was like, yeah, that's a great question. I, I, don't, I don't know. And he ended up saying turnovers and explosive plays. And so if you look at a lot of the stuff I've written this year, a lot of it is turnovers and explosive. Because if those are the two stats that have been studied that, that indicate and predict winning, then I should be following them. And, yeah, the turnover stuff is so challenging because if you separate them individually, like, is there a theme? I don't – Justin Jefferson reaching for the pylon in Philadelphia right. trying to score? Like, like what are we – what are we doing? And the other, the, the two themes with the turnovers that I have found are that they often are happening in opponents' territory within right. the thirty-yard line, which is crazy. And then they're often happening early in the game, which I think affects the momentum and the way your defense can play the entire game. So it's when you pull them apart, it, it, it's it's just it really is difficult. I think to to try to pinpoint something. I think it's a really hard thing. To coach, I mean, I, I think you could try, you could do all these drills, but I, I think it's it's a difficult uh, thing to coach. And, and I, again, you would just think over the course of the rest of the season that the tide would kind of turn. And if that's the case, if you look at some of the advanced metrics on both sides, you would start to think, man, this this offense has been so dang explosive. The Ed Ingram hitting the ball out of Kirk's hand on a handoff. Come on. That kind of stuff. I, He's got to stop. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and again, it's like you run the ball effectively. You've gotten, gotten the ball down in the red zone. Yes. And, and here we go. And do they need to be more effective on third down in the red zone? Yes. Sure. Like, of mm-hmm. course, any team in any offense in the NFL, those are two huge stats that, that matter on a, on, a, on a weekend to weekend basis. But if you can just eliminate these turnovers, especially after successful momentous drives, it's just, it, it's, a, it's an entirely different. Um, four game sample and, and you view it differently. And that, again, it's what makes this thing so tough. Here's a paragraph that's just absurd to me. This is what you wrote. <laughs> the numbers bear this out. The Vikings have allowed 30 points off their 11 turnovers this season, the fifth highest total in the NFL. But conversely, Minnesota is averaging an NFL best 5.1 points per drive when it does not turn the ball over on possessions that reach opponent territory. By that rationale, the Vikings' seven deep drive giveaways have cost them 35.7 points. And I don't know what the point differential is right now, but they're probably, what, minus nine? So 35 uh, points I, versus whatever it is. They've lost by 10 points total or whatever. I think it's less than that. But, yeah, and, and, and like, I understand people saying, like, you can't just remove turnovers, Alec. Like, turnovers are going to happen. But I also think when you do remove the turnovers, you just look at, like, the drive-to-drive drive basis – 
this is this offense has been phenomenal. Like it really has. If you look at a lot of stats, it's like Miami Dolphins who have gotten the notoriety among every analyst in the NFL, rightfully for what they've done and what they've been able to do, and what Mike McDaniel has schemed up for Tua in that offense. Like they deserve a lot of credit, but the Vikings are up there. It's just at one and three, and with the amount of turnovers, it it, it, it it's not going to get the play that that obviously these other teams are. So it's glass half full or glass half empty. Uh, let's talk about the glass half full, like you said. <laughs> the offense is averaging 6.2 yards per play, sixth in offensive success rate, second in explosive play rate, which, by the way, my eye test tells me the same thing. If you're watching the games, these turnovers are happening after we're moving the ball at will. I, I think a couple drives yesterday, one of the touchdown drives yesterday, they didn't even have a third down. And that kind of stuff's happening. This, But it's just so weird that the turnovers are crazy ill-timed. So I, if, if I'm saying positively... I view it as, look, if you can get through a couple of these hard games, if some of the luck starts starting to go your way, which maybe it started a little bit in Carolina with that sack fumble, et cetera, and then you have a really, you know, every game, any given Sunday, I say it every week, but you have a really <laughs> easier, quote-unquote, lighter schedule to finish. There's a stretch after the 49ers, I'm going to get this not correct in order, but it's like Falcons, Broncos, Raiders, Bears, Packers, uh, the Bengals Saints. now, yes, yeah, Saints, right. So like there's there's literally seven games in a row that the Vikings will either be favored or have a very good chance to win. So glass half full to me says, man, so much of the offensive stuff is working. The last two weeks, the run game has gotten better, shown huge signs of improvement to where it's back to, I think, above league average. But if they cut those turnovers out, the defense using some of that extra energy from cutting some of the turnovers out seems to be playing better. Seems like having Marcus Davenport back is a big deal. Correct. Is Dalton Reisner or Garrett Bradbury back going to help? Like, it seems like it's headed the right direction. That's the glass half full approach. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're exactly. I was going to mention Davenport. I mean, to have him in there, it, it, it made he a was difference. Huge. Like, it, like it just did. And, and, and I mean, I, I go back to – Last year, the first game, first NFL game I ever covered, uh, covering the Vikings, they played the Packers last year in week one and obviously crushed the Packers that day at home at U.S. Bank Stadium. And I remember in the post game afterwards, Kirk was asked about Zadarius Smith and Daniel Hunter together. And he said, you know, I, I had a coach that told me years ago, like, you have to have two really elite pass rushers. And if you do, it can change the complexion of a game. I never forgot that quote. It's not like some grand crazy <laughs> statement to make but it just sticks in my head it's like when they didn't have Marcus Davenport all you had was Daniil Hunter and yes they've done some crazy blitz scheme stuff they've tried to get creative but to have Marcus Davenport um was huge and I think to continue to have him would be huge I think Garrett Bradbury at center um and kind of to, to put this offensive line pieces a little bit back together I think that would be big I think to your point, the run game and the way it's looked the last two weeks, and we could talk about the reasons for it. I mean, the last two games, the Chargers and the Panthers have played two high coverages with light boxes, and that makes it easier to run the football. But with Justin Jefferson, a lot of teams are going to be doing that. And the fact that they're running the football effectively is something we cannot take for granted given the last year and what things have looked like. So there, there are a lot of reasons to think it's looking up. You mentioned the schedule. The, the Packers, the Falcons, the Saints, all these, the Broncos, the, the Bengals are struggling. Um, I, I, I could go down that road and totally get with you. These, I will say, as you said, any, any week, uh, any, any, anything can happen in this league, which makes it difficult to predict or think positive. But, but 
I think once you get through the stretch of the Chiefs, which are going to be incredibly difficult, and then the 49ers in a couple weeks, which are right now look to be a juggernaut and, and maybe the favorite to win the Super Bowl, I don't know. Um, I think there is a stretch of games that if they can just take, as Kirk would say, and as a lot of the, the coaching staff would say, you just want to take it week by week and pour everything they can in. I think there is a there is a path to making a run to make this division thing look interesting. So we'll see. That's why I, I, I've ended the story. Like, away we go. We'll find out because it, it is a it, – it's just such a tough league to really predict. Did you watch the Cowboys at all? If you watched the Cowboys in week one – and a couple other games, I literally thought no one is ever going to score on this defense. No one's going to move. And of course, the first person who's able to score on the defense is Josh Dobbs. I, I just, there are things in the NFL that I just literally can't make sense of. It's unbelievable. It's like the Cleveland Browns are historically good defense. And then the Ravens score 28 without, without Zay Flowers, without some of these leaders. It just... Again, like the Titans defense at times will look great, and then they'll give up 28 to the Browns, which is an offense that will look terrible. You just – these games are, are so um, – it's just – things can happen early in the game that can shift the course of, of, of what's possible. And so that's that's why, like even a Chiefs game this weekend with Patrick Mahomes. I know, I've that's been, what I was going to say. I've been, I've been thinking about all morning, like how are they going to try to stop this guy? And I, I, I really know. don't have a good answer. But you never know. It's a couple crazy bounces – Pacheco fumbles the football like you just don't know and and um he nearly threw three picks last night it's 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 I mean it's crazy I went back and watched Brian Flores last matchup against Patrick Mahomes it was 2020 uh Chiefs versus the Dolphins the Chiefs ended up winning that game by like a touchdown but Brian Flores was doing some different stuff and the ball was being tipped I think Mahomes threw three picks so again it's just it's it's you just you just don't know everybody is the same talent all of us in the media and fans, we always want to try to find these things to use them as predictors, but truly it comes down to who executes the best on that day, who had the best game plan, because everybody's as good as everybody else. Truly. Even the teams that we say suck, don't suck. They're all right. just like maybe did a bad thing on one play in the fourth quarter or whatever. Uh, the glass half empty version. <laughs> if, if this doesn't go our way, if the Vikings end up at six wins, why? Well, turnovers, I'll start there. If the turnovers continue, I think It's maybe that's, not that's, a fixable thing. Right. If it's just like they're they're telling us who they are, and regardless of how they're happening, the turnovers keep happening. I think you have to start there. I think the other two things I would go to is just the lack of talent on defense. I, yeah. I just – I mean, I think they've tried to patch things in a lot of different ways, and Brian Flores is doing – Four edge rushers, seven DBs. I mean, there is some crazy stuff going on, and you kind of give them credit for being creative in a way that they were not last year. And mm-hmm. then I think I, I don't know the offensive line in terms of probably right guard and, and and Ed Ingram. I do think there are flashes. Like you turn on the tape, and he's a developing guy, he's a young guy, and there are times there are flashes. But then you have the play that you need him to hold up to find Jordan Addison on a wheel route toward the end zone, and he doesn't hold up. So I think. Those three elements, probably just the, the turnover frequency, the defensive talent, and, and, and ultimately the offensive line could probably do things and, uh, if, if the Class of 50 version comes to fruition. Uh, two quick side notes there. Do you think Reisner is not playing because he's not ready? Or do you think that there are politics involved in him wanting to keep uh, Ingram playing? Or just they think he's a young guy who could develop? Reisner's a death piece. Like, what's going on there? Will he play this week? 
It's a great question, and I, t- I, I respond with that because I don't think I have a really good answer. I think it's a combination of a lot of that. I think, A, there is a lot that, that I mean, as, as a lot of the players who had to learn the system last year would, would have told you, like, it, it's, it's not hard to learn the system on a whim. Now, did TJ Hawkinson do that in four days? Yes. How did that make any sense? I still wonder. Um, but he was able to. So I think that's part of it. And the way they want to use temp- tempo, some of the checks that they're using on a on a down and down basis, I think it's a lot for guys to follow. But I also think you can't overlook the fact that Ed Ingram was a second round pick by this regime in a draft that has not placed a lot of talent on the field con- consistently. And he's also a young offensive lineman who, again, has at times, especially in the run game, shown flashes. So to pull the ripcord amid a competitive rebuild as they call it, I think is it's it's kind of a dicey one. But the more But you signed you, him for four million then. Then don't sign Reisner. Cor- correct. And, and I think the play that led to the interception in an attempt to find Jordan Addison in the end zone, the more that that happens, I think the more that, that the replacement is is very likely. Now you could conceivably argue, easily argue, and I might even agree with you that at this point for this team to try to win on a week to week basis, that should have already happened. But um, again, there's a lot at play, and I think um, even though it is my job to figure out what is going on, I think at times sure. there's a lot more than we know on the outside. Well, and Kevin has avoided the question every time. I've listened to the press conferences, and he's just kind of danced around it the whole time. Uh, the the last second side note on the uh, glass half full side of things, I thought one play that summed up the defense for me this year if you're a longtime Vikings fan, even going back to 2020, 2021 with Zimmer, and then definitely last year, that last fourth down from whatever it was, the 18-yard line or something or 16-yard line, um, so many times, like all of us fans are so used to that being a, hey, kind of line up at the goal line and you know put seven DBs back there and then just kind of jump ball it. And that has bit us in the butt a couple times under Zimmer, a walk-off Lions win where the guy just ran a post and just yeah. turned around and caught it. Um, and then a lot of times we're just like, hey, we're going to play it that way. But that gives them even a chance to throw it. I thought it was absolutely insane. When Harrison Smith is up on the line on that last play of the game, I'm thinking – he, he has to be bluffing. I haven't seen this. The fact yeah. that he sent, I don't know what it was, five or six guys, and Harrison Smith actually gets home with the sack ending the game, that is the glass half full for me. That's where I'm like, okay, even if they don't have the talent, can they do stuff like that with enough balls to basically steal a game or two? And that's what it, it's just going to have to be so timely, and they're going to have to be effective when they do that. And that was the thing that I think really impressed me that, that maybe – goes a little bit overlooked is like Bryce Young is so slippery. Like he really is. And I know rookie and people said he didn't look good and all this stuff, but you go back and watch the film. There are a lot of times where, and and I, I watch him in Alabama, so I've seen it a million times, but he's just so good in, in fine space at kind of just evading a rusher. And Harrison Smith multiple times on Sunday was able to corral Bryce Young and, and, and not allow him to, to, to escape his grasp. And I think the more they play, um, the, these these higher octane teams with quarterbacks who are uh, like this Patrick Mahomes guy, pretty good. Um, the more that they're going to have to be really effective when they when they blitz, when they dial things up, and they're going to have to execute. And I know that's it is coach speak, execution fundamentals, technique. But like, I mean, on weeks like these, it is it is as critical as possible. But I, I do think the the fact that Brian Flores had the confidence to roll with that call in that moment, and then the fact it was executed. Is a, is a positive sign without question. 
you're so bright. That is such a good point. Harrison, being the veteran he is, he's able to control his body and actually wrap up. If you watch that Chargers game over again, like one of the things I noticed from the younger guys is they come around the corner blazing, like Ivan Pace, Metellus. There were a lot of times they had a free rusher and they're, they're not settling their feet and getting ready to actually make the tackle. They're just like, oh, I'm so excited I'm here. That's how it feels. And I feel like yeah. some, of the, some of the veterans are able to do that, where it's like, I'm going to collect myself and make sure I'm wrapping them up. And I can imagine it's difficult. You're a free yes. runner in an NFL game at a quarterback that is everybody knows that you're about to get a hit on. And, and I mean, to be able to chop your feet or whatever the, the coaching point is on that, I think Harrison Smith, one of the underrated things, like his ability to contort his body and mm-hmm. feel his body and find space is probably one of those elements that has made him as, as special of a player as he's been over the course of his career. But that's why I just rewatching the game. I was like, there are multiple times where Bryce is so slippery but the fact that he wasn't able to escape Harrison's grasp in those moments, I think, was another element of just the game that he had and, and layered to it. Absolutely. Last question. It's been a really weird year. What are some of your standout surprise storylines of the season so far? Non-Vikings related. Oh, you, uh, league-wide. League-wide. Um, like the Bengals not being able to score a touchdown. The Bengals, it, the Bengals situation is very interesting, and Joe Burrow's injury, I'm sure. But, but I mean, they've had trouble early in seasons going back a couple of times. I think, I, I, again, but it's not like this, to, not not scoring. This is right, and this is a different. This is a different deal, and I think it's a, it puts a lot of pressure right now on on that coaching staff to prove that when Joe Burrow isn't able to just sit in shotgun and read the field and do his crazy processing stuff that he is capable of, it's on the coaches to kind of scheme ways. And I think that's where you see the separation of which guys can get creative and which guys can't. I mean, that's where you ask surprises. I mean, I go to Miami, even though they got beat pretty good by the Bills this past weekend. Like, what they've been able to do with Tua, a guy who I think a lot of people didn't believe in, and with an offensive line that is not – that struggled mightily last year. I mean, obviously they have skilled players that can get out in space and, and ease things for the offensive line. But what Mike McDaniel has done down there and the vibe of that team I think is is pretty impressive. I think mm-hmm. the Patriots' struggles, again, maybe – I mean, it's happened now, now for a couple of years since Brady left, but the fact that they are as – kind of just lethargic as they are. I mean, the special teams has been terrible, which for Bill Belichick has been a tentpole thing. And that's been surprising. So the bears being so bad through four games, like the bears and Justin Fields, that was a name that a lot of national media pundits threw out all off season. I watched literal people rank the best quarterbacks in the NFC and they would go hurts fields, you know, then like whatever cousins (laughs) golf, whatever. And it's like, Oh man, like, we're not off a little bit. We're off by by miles here on some of this stuff. And, I mean, for them, the situation has just been an abomination in every regard. I mean, you got Chase Claypool, who's not at the facility now. You traded a second-round pick for him. I mean, I, it, there's – the, the situation over there is is something else. I mean, Justin Field, who started to succeed last year when you designed runs for him, no longer has designed runs. How does that affect him? Is that just to show that he can't be the pocket quarterback that guys still have to be in this era of the game? It's there. There are um, there are a million elements of that situation that that raise questions, but. I mean, league-wide, again, you just roll around to a million different uh, buildings and you've got interesting things. I mean, the Cleveland Browns defense, as I mentioned, has been one of the best. But then offensively, they have 
continued to really, really struggle. Um, Houston's so been a fun surprise. Houston, CJ Stroud. There was yeah. so much talk prior to the draft about what he could be or what he wasn't going to be. There were Pittsburgh. There so, <laughs> Ugh, Pittsburgh what happened there? Matt, Matt Canada <laughs> who remains the OC. I mean, again, it is. I mean, the the Bengals being where they are is is. I mean, you talked about the before the season. It was what this Viking schedule is going to be so difficult. And you mentioned the Chiefs and the Eagles and the 49ers and the Bengals are right there. And and the fact that they have not been able to put it together and their defense hasn't been as good as I kind of would expect for Luana Rumo. It's 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 wild. It is wild out there. I'll say this for Vikings fans that are feeling defeated at one and three. I'm not saying they're going to run the table. I'm not saying they're going to make the playoffs, but all you have to do is spend some time watching the league. Everything we just talked about. If you watch the league, people have holes everywhere. Everyone's got issues they're dealing with. So yes, do the Vikings need to be better on third down? Yeah. Can they improve their run game? I don't know, but that's questions that people are asking everywhere. Just turn on the league, watch red zone for a while. Like everyone has issues and you think, that there's a team that's immune to it, and maybe there are a couple. But outside of maybe three or four teams, I mean, the Bills lost to the Jets week one. The Dolphins scored 70 points, and then they got blown out the next week. Like, this this stuff happens. And in the year of the blowout, which has been kind of weird, there's been a lot of blowouts this year, it's a little weird that the Vikings are not a part of that. Yes, they're losing games, but they're losing by a field goal. So it's just, you just don't, you never know. You never know. Probably the perfect comparison is Monday night the Giants played. And I don't know if you know, but the Giants uh, have had a lot of hype in terms of Brian Dayball as a head coach. Daniel Jones, I believe, got paid $40 million a year, average annual value this offseason. Uh, their offensive line is in tatters. They're one and three, and it has been a bad one and three. I mean, yes. you think, again, the Vikings are one and three. But it, it, so to, to compare those two situations and holistically from the macro, I think you could feel a little better about it, even if one and three puts you in a tough place. So it, it really is. You look around the league, uh, and it's it's pretty it's pretty fascinating to try to to try to put things in perspective, and it's hard, and that's yes. what ma- it makes. The analyst job very challenging. It's like, how do I be real while also mm-hmm. giving space and, and being objective about it? It's, it is uh, it's difficult. Well, Alec, you're the absolute best. As I said, subscribe to The Athletic, everyone, if you're not already. If they're not running some deal, they might be soon. But either way, <laughs> it's worth whatever it costs right now. I think I pay a dollar a month. It's easily the best dollar a month I pay in my life. So, Alec, thank you very much. You're the best. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, of course, Kyle. No, appreciate you having me. Always fun and uh, should be a fun ride these next few weeks for sure. I want to close this week's episode with an update on my best bets. I was 6-8-1, but last week I had a 4-1 week. Let's go. 4-1 week, which gets me back to 10-9-1, literally 500. So I want to stay at 500 now and only go forward from this point on. Last week I got the Vikings minus 4.5 right, the Bucks plus 3.5. That was an easy one. The Chargers minus 4.5. That was closer than I wanted correct and the Seahawks minus one and a half way covered that and the only game I got wrong was I rode the Miami Dolphins train too long taking them plus three they lost by 28 or whatever so they got blown out uh so I went four and one last week 10 nine and one as we look ahead to week five in the NFL here are my five best bets let's get rich y'all
All right, here we go. This is the week of me doing some things that I never do. Starting with my first two games. I'm going to pick two teams that if you had asked me to do this five weeks ago, I never would have imagined picking. Two teams that I think still aren't getting enough credit because of our preconceived notions on what they should or should not be. I thought that Arizona and Houston were two of the worst teams in the league going into the season, and I was just wrong through four weeks. So I'm going to give it a shot and give them some credit here. I'm taking bet number one, Houston plus two versus the Falcons. Look, through four weeks, I just think they're better. CJ Stroud is also better than Ritter. And Houston is playing hard. They're playing hard on defense with D'Amico Ryans. I'm going to take a risk. Houston plus two versus the Falcons. I'm also going to take a massive risk on Arizona plus three versus the Bengals. This is mainly because I, I'm just not a believer in what the Bengals are doing right now. And the, and the Cardinals have come out of nowhere and played a lot of teams tough. Even though they lost by 19 points to the 49ers last week, they were hanging in there for a while. That is shocking. That's a game that should be over instantly. But they have battled this year. I'm going to take them plus three versus the Bengals. Now, this one could make me look really bad. We may get to the end of this game and look back and be like, what were you thinking? The Bengals were bound to turn it around. The Cardinals just don't have any talent. How could you pick them? We'll see. So Houston plus two, Arizona plus three. The third game is a weird one for me. I'm going to take Kansas City minus four on the road against Minnesota. Here's why. I'm doing this to protect myself emotionally. I have bet the Vikings four times thus far, and I'm one in three. I will be at this game, and I legitimately think the Vikings have a chance to play Kansas City really tough and or win the game. I think that's even confirmed by Vegas saying it's only a four-point spread. The Vikings have, by PFF, the eighth best overall roster in the NFL. Every team in the top 10 has three-plus wins except for the Vikings. But Kansas City is still a better football team than Minnesota Vikings. I just could go either way with this. I could see the Vikings actually battling, playing a really good game, and Kansas City having a slightly hard time going on the road to U.S. Bank Stadium and the Vikings keeping this close. But I'm making this pick for one reason. If the Vikings end up winning the game, I won't give one crap about losing this bet. If the Vikings win, I do not care if I get this bet wrong. But if the Vikings lose the game, then I hope Kansas City at least covers by four, in which case I'll be so bummed about the Vikings game, which is way more important to me than this bet. But at least then I cover financially and I get this bet correct. So if the Chiefs win, I kind of win. And if the Vikings win, I definitely win. That's why I'm picking this game. I could see it going either way. The worst case scenario for me, obviously, is the Vikings losing by three because then I don't win either. But Chiefs minus four. Game number four, Green Bay minus one versus the Raiders. This is mainly a bet that I just don't think Josh McDaniels is very good in Las Vegas. I think that's headed for a breakup at some point. I'm going Green Bay minus one to beat the Raiders. And then the last pick of the week is super weird. This is another thing I never do. I'm taking Miami again for the fourth time this year, minus 10 and a half versus the Giants. Now, this is going against what I typically believe for a couple of reasons. The Giants just got embarrassed. And I do think that anytime a team gets embarrassed, they usually bounce back fairly well the next week. 
So that makes me nervous that they'll keep this close. The other rule I'm breaking is I almost never take double-digit favorites in the NFL. It's really risky to give up 10.5 points to a team that just got embarrassed and wants to come back angry. But I've watched the Giants and the chemistry that's happening. And I've been watching the Dolphins. And they just lost and got embarrassed. So they're going to come out pissed off. I really think there's a chance the Dolphins get out early and their defense is able to clamp down enough against the Giants' really struggling offense to where this is like a 34-14 to type game. 34-17. to 34-21 even. I just think the Dolphins are going to score a ton of points. I'm taking a huge risk here. Miami minus 10.5 versus the New York Giants. All right, that's it for me. It's going to be a fun week five in the NFL. It's already been crazy this year. Uh, There's been more blowouts than I remember there being. A few other games to kind of keep an eye on. I think the Eagles-Rams game will be a fun game to see how the Rams stack up there. Cowboys 49ers is definitely the game of the week. Might be the highest rated game in a while, TV-wise, with a 4-0 49ers team hosting a 3-1 Dallas Cowboys team. There will be a lot of eyeballs in that game in primetime. Texans-Falcons is interesting to me. So a decent slate overall. Hope you guys have enjoyed this podcast thus far. Let me know your thoughts. Hit me up on the Friends From Work Discord channel or just hit me up on social media at Kyle Skonewill, S-C-H-O-N-E-W-I-L-L. Let's stay in touch. Let's get some of these bets right and keep this thing rolling 4-1 last week. And uh, Skull Vikes, I'll be at the game. Hopefully I can come back next week talking about a massive Vikings win And I want to share a little bit of what the game day experience is like at U.S. Bank Stadium. So that should be fun. I hope everyone out there is doing well. Thank you for listening. We'll see you right back here next time on Friends from Football.